Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the www's. Um, you can get us all over the place, actually. But if you can find a way to get us, you've obviously succeeded because you're listening right now. So it's good to have your company. Uh, we are the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. We're actually the Australian Council for the Defenders of Government Schools, but we like dogs because we like to get our teeth into various issues, and we are today. Today we're going to go back to the old issue, which we wish we didn't have to talk about, which is money. Um, the federal government's decided that they're going to give a lot more money to private schools, um, and they don't have anything to say about government schools at all. It's all rather strange. Um, when I say strange, I mean politically. 60% of the population send their children to, at least, send their children to state schools, and the federal government's not interested in appeasing those people. Only interested in appeasing people who go to private schools. There's a new funding model come out, and we'll be dealing with that in depth because it's an important issue here for equity here in Australia, leading into the next generation, because this generation is less well-educated than the one that came before it, which I find quite sad. Um, and, of course, we have the idea here at the Dogs that that needs to be reversed, quick, smart. Um, apparently, the federal government's interested in giving more money to private schools. That's how you solve the problem. We would argue that that's not the case, as would just about anyone else who knows about this stuff. But for an analysis, um, we usually have something called a press release by Gene, which starts off every program, and this program is no different. We start with a glorious, well-famous press release, and we end with a great state school. We look at one state school in Australia that's doing wonderful jobs, and we highlight what they're doing and let our audience know exactly that sort of thing that's going on at the coalface in government schools around Australia. But before we get to that at the end, we've got to deal with, well, deal with, we've got to wait for bated breath for Jean's press release, which is entitled, what is it, Jean? The Myth of Equality, and it's press release 8.30, and you can find it at www.adogs.info. And here it is. Press Release 8.30, The Myth of Equality. The Myth of Equality was the title of a book produced by Tom Roper, who at that time was the research officer for the National Union of Australian University Students, a very active and interesting organisation back in the day. And I've got this book right here in front of me in the studio. Uh, and on the front is an inner city school, uh, somewhere I think up Carlton Way, 
with children in class groups in what looks like a bit of an assembly on an asphalt playground, uh, which is in fact a very small playground. I assume that this is a state school, but it could just as well in those days have been an inner city Catholic school because the poor children of that time in Catholic schools were in real trouble and people were very concerned about them too. There are other pictures in this book. For example, there's a lovely picture down by the river with rowing boats which is labelled Geelong Geelong Grammar Boys at Play. Uh, Then there are many other pictures of children playing in the street in some instances, uh, children in puddles in playgrounds outside demountable classrooms, uh, teachers uh, who are in staff rooms that are overcrowded, and large number of pictures of children who are actually being taught in the, not in rooms, but in corridors of schools. Uh, there's a lot of just visual evidence in Tom Roper's books of what it was like in those days. And those of us who were around and who were actually teaching in some of these schools remember it well. Yeah, when you say those days, Jim, um, what, what days are you talking about? The 1960s. And this book was produced in 1971. Now, state aid had been trickling into the private religious schools, particularly the Catholic schools, which were very badly run down in those days, and that had happened since 1963. But this funding had been going out in uh, for libraries and for science blocks, and it was also going into the very, very wealthy schools that had always been wealthy, like Geelong Grammar, Waverley College, uh, and... St Kevin's for that matter but the funding had been exacerbating the gross inequalities between the wealthy private schools and the schools attended by the disadvantaged students now this work of Tom Roper together with uh, continuing protests of the teachers federations and particularly the one in New South Wales and also the dogs uh, who in those days had these wonderful demonstrations outside uh, the, pool, the schools with the pools, particularly the one at Waverley in Sydney, uh, the, because these, the, it was becoming blatantly obvious that the myth of equality was just that, a myth, and the levels of inequality were extraordinary and shocking, just before the federal 1972 election and just after it, you had the concern and the promise of a needs policy by the Whitlam government and they established the Schools Commission and they came up with a much watered needs policy in 1973. And since the Schools Commission report of 73 things didn't really get very much better. In fact, they got worse. And in the 21st century, we have had two Gonski reports and billions of dollars. And a lot of people are looking around and saying, 
nothing much has changed. I know that I have constantly a feeling of deja vu. Because as early as 1973, it became blatantly obvious that the wealthy schools would have to be paid off with an assurance that no one would lose a penny before any treasury crumbs from the federal government could flow to disadvantaged children in disadvantaged public schools. Now, nothing really has changed because Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools outlines the current situation, not as described by anybody within Australia, but by the OECD. And this is is a quote from his latest press release, just in this last week. Data from the OECD's Program for International Assessment, PISA, in 2018, confirm everyday impressions of the vast gap in the resources of public and private schools in Australia. They show that private schools have far more and better quality teaching and physical resources than public schools. Despite the fact that public schools enrol over 80% of the most disadvantaged students, they are constrained by a lack of education resources. Much higher proportions of students in public schools, the OECD also found, have their learning hindered by a lack of educational materials, poor quality educational materials, lack of physical infrastructure and poor poor quality infrastructure than in private schools. There are also significant differences between the resources available to lower fee and higher fee private schools. So, according to the OECD, since the 1960s, 1971, when Tom Roper's The Myth of Equality was published, nothing much has changed, excepting billions and billions and billions of taxpayer dollars have gone into the private sector. Now, periodic intervals, the blatant rorting of the state aid billions, together with the growing disadvantage in the public sector and the resources boom of the wealthy private schools has sparked public outrage. And it certainly sparked plenty of that over the years on the DOGS program. But on every occasion in the 1980s, the 1990s and in recent decades, the Lib Labs, because the Labor Party is not much better than the Liberal Party. In fact, the Liberal Party are the devil you know. The Labor Party always disappoints you in the dog's uh, experience. The Lib Labs then have paid out the wealthy schools before even a trickle is passed to the disadvantaged in our public schools. But now, with the Morrison government, even this trickle is in danger of drying up. We've just had a terrible drought throughout Australia, but the Morrison government is making sure that the drought more than continues in funding for public education. Now, the only disadvantaged schools and children of concern to Morrison are those in the so-called Catholic and independent sector. And in spite of billions of dollars paid to the administrators of these sectors, we're told that poor disadvantaged private schools still exist. 
So public schools are sent away to go with their begging bowl to the cash-strapped state governments. In the face of glaring inequalities and a broken system, the Morrison government is now engaging in funding rules window dressing. The socio-economic status of a community, which they've been using to fund or talk about needs funding for private schools, is being switched to parents' taxable incomes. So the SES, or the uh, way that they evaluate a school as being needy, used to be on the socioeconomic uh, background of the, the people who were working people in that area. Now it is going to the actual taxable income of the parents attending those schools or whose children are attending those schools. Very interesting because this taxable income idea, it's a very interesting criterion, especially since the taxable incomes of the wealthy, thanks to clever accounting and taxation arrangements, are often very minimal. So we, the taxpaying citizens of Australia, are informed that and this is just in the last week, we are being told that non-government schools are set for a 3.4 billion boost. That's on top of the nearly 14 billion that they already get over the next 10 years as the Morrison government prepares to rewrite the funding rules for the Catholic and so-called independent sectors. The extra funding will be distributed to private schools based on parents' taxable incomes, giving schools with a greater number of lower-income families the biggest slice. About 20% of wealthier and high-fee private schools will, on this criteria, have their funding cut, eventually. But they would share in an extra $1.3 billion choice and affordability fund. So they're going to be paid anyway. They're not going to lose any penny immediately over the next two years to ease the transition. But they don't, they don't actually need to even have a transition because, as they did back in 1973, at the very beginning of these needs policies, those wealthy schools would also be able to ask for a review of any funding cut the new system imposes. So they can go back and argue that really the taxable income of their wealthy parents is not that great and perhaps the government should look at their funding again. So the dogs can only respond what is new. Why, half a century and billions of dollars later, are there any poor Catholic schools in Australia at all? What has the Catholic Education Commission been doing with their money? Channeling it into St Kevin's and new schools in the suburbs? There are very few Catholic schools in outback Australia, and there were none, you might notice, that were burnt down in those bushfire towns. They were all little public schools, which the state government has and is going to uh, rebuild. Meanwhile, 
Back in 1973, when the Carmel Committee wished to cut back funding to the wealthy schools, the schools were given the chance to ask for a review of any funding cut the new system imposed. With the first Gonski report, the Gillard government promised that no school would lose a penny. And now Morrison is paying off the wealthy schools before any change has even been implemented. So the myth of equality in Australia continues unabated. So that's quite enough for me for the moment. We'll have some lovely music and then Robert will be back with some even more interesting material. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Come along to the album launch of Kukatha Gundachimada Songman Dave Arden's Red Desert Man. Saturday the 14th of March at the Thornbury Theatre, 859 High Street. Special guests include Kutcher Edwards, Young Warriors, BB Sabina and Amos Roach. Head to the Thornbury Theatre website for more details and to book tickets. Dave Arden's Red Desert Man album launch, Saturday, 14th of March. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 on AM Dial and podcast on the WWWs. Yeah, um, I'm going to flesh out a little bit of what Jean was talking about there because fundamentally um, what we're talking about is in a historical context, as Jean so elegantly framed it, but it's an immediate problem. And the immediate problem is that non-government schools are going to have a funding increase and the government school sector has not been considered at all. 
Now, I'm just going to go through this. The non-government school sector in Australia is set for a $3.4 billion boost over the next 10 years, and the Morrison government has nothing to say about giving extra money to state schools. Now, the idea is the extra funding will be distributed to private schools based on parents' taxable incomes, whereas currently it's distributed on the SES of the suburb in which the parent comes from. So the idea is is they're going to use technology and going to find out about how much you earn to determine how much your child's school gets funded. The more you earn, typically the less money that you'll be given. However, it is anticipated that while about 20% of the wealthier and high-fee private schools, that's not 20% of all private schools, that's just 20% of the high-fee ones, would have their public funding cut they would have actually have access to $1.3 billion extra on top to um, ease the transition over a period of two years. That is, they don't get any less money. Now, um, just a couple of days ago, it's fascinating, there was a wonderful, interesting article, I thought, in The Age about uh, a wealthy private school that was crying crocodile tears about how much money they were going to lose and how terrible it was and how unfair because... They do lots of charity work and they have lots of scholarship children and they're nice people, honestly. And philanthropy is, is a way to fund an, an education system and so they should be given, or they should have, shouldn't have their money taken from them. But before we deal with that, um, I'd like to talk about what this formula is all about. And it's a direct measure of income and will require an amendment to the Australian Education Act um, and so therefore they need to do something about this in Parliament. Now, if passed, it will supersede the current geographic funding model that assesses government funding levels for non-government schools based on average incomes and education levels of the community the school is in. The new formula will be based, as I said, on how much money you earn if you have a child in a private school. Now, Dan Tan said, what we'll do is we'll look at the income of parents to get a sense of their ability to contribute to the fees of the school. Interesting basis for the federal government to talk about funding education but there you go so the new formula we based on parents taxable income now it's estimated that 810 independent schools will have their annual recurrent funding increased by 2.5% or more and 133 schools will experience little or no change and about 60 schools will probably lose funding now, the Catholic sector in particular are very happy about this because, as Jim was hinting, um, they've made sure that all of their schools um, uh, maintain a, a patina of poverty. And we're about to find out if, in fact, that's true. I think it's interesting. Uh, Mr. Tan said non-government schools will be given up until 2029 to fully transition to the new model, hence they'll be given money along the way. Now, one example that's given in an article um, in the Age newspaper by Adam Carey is St John's Primary School. It's a small Catholic school in Clifton Hill that stands to receive more funding under the changes. Hmm. Clifton Hill's residents are significantly wealthier and more educated than the national average, but 55% of the Clifton Hill residents, aged 15 and over, have a bachelor's degree or above, more than double the national average as well. Now, these factors mean that St John's in Clifton Hill has assigned the same socioeconomic score that determines the funding for Geelong Grammar. But by, measure, by, by many measures, St John's is not an affluent school. 
Apparently, last year, 32% of the students came from families with a health care card, while 20% of students had a disability. So they found one Catholic primary school in a wealthy area that has some children with a disability in it. Do you know what? I've heard of St John's Primary School in Clifton Hill before. Last time these questions came out, it was also dragged up. So just having one school like this, I don't think... Um, was it one swallow doth not a summer make? Um, so the school itself then cries poor and says, please, 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 can we have the extra money? Now, the National Catholic Education Commission argued that many of its low-fee schools would be under a cloud if current geographic funding models remained. Um, we can't know that, actually, because the National Catholic Education Commission refuses to tell us exactly how much money goes to each of the Catholic schools in Australia. I don't know. I can't check that. I've got to take the National Catholic Education Commission's word for it. Um, I'm kind of a bit wary of taking a Catholic organisation's word for things, especially when it comes to money, or anything for that matter. Um, the executive director of the NCEC, um, Jacinta Collins, said direct measures of income will be more accurate. So she's all in favour of this because it means that low-fee Catholic schools will be able to keep, as I say, keep school fees affordable. This has always been the question. And it's what? never happened. It's, for 40 years... School fees have risen, for the last 25 years at least, they've risen above the rate of inflation for all private schools, including Catholic ones. This is, right, right back to 1973, there were, what in the end we used to discover, were showpiece uh, poor parish schools, uh, which were trotted out as needing more money. Uh, so that there would be a needs policy which would be favourable to the Catholic education system. Mm. But with the billions of dollars that are being channelled into this organisation, how is it that there are wealthy Catholic schools and there are poor Catholic schools? What actually is going on such that they are allowed these schools to be so poor? Don't know. I'm I'm not allowed to know. Auditor-generals of various types over the years pop up and say, but we don't know, this is ridiculous, this is almost fraudulent. And the Catholic education officer says, go away, you're being all sectarian and we can do what we like because we're a charity. So, I mean... St John of God's is complaining that they, that they need more money. Some other schools are complaining that they need more money. But if the bill passes, annual funding for non-government schools will grow from $13.1 billion currently, which is 13.1 too much as far as I'm concerned, up to $19.1 billion by 2029. Now, the last sentence in Adam Carey's article I think is a fascinating one. He says, funding arrangements for government schools are unchanged. Don't know, don't care. Not now... Not, a, not an, an additional penny. Well, no, more than that, Jane, and I think this is rather interesting, because more than not another penny, they're not changing the model. No. Which is to say, they're talking about how wonderful this new model is and how much fairer it's going to be. Well, it's not so wonderful and fair that the state school system deserves it. Oh, no. Now, the state school system, run in large part by the state governments around Australia, its funding model has not been changed at all. It will still be funded on an SES model. And I'll tell you right now why that is. Because if you apply this system of parental income to the state school model and include that with all the Catholic school students and the independent school students, 
then you will very quickly work out, and just it will just be obvious, that you'll be having to giving the vast majority of money in terms of equity to the state school system. Well, Robert, you're right. <laughs> I hadn't re- if I you hadn't put them all together, then the private school system would, by definition, even with this model, get less, because it's a relative income model. People are relatively wealthy. And we know as a simple fact that the vast majority of children from poor families in Australia go to state schools. It's just that simple. But they're not changing the funding model. Oh, no. They're not changing the funding model for state school students and thereby boosting their potential. Oh, no, federal government doesn't give a toss. Don't care. Now, the state government's not going to do it because that means they're going to be up for a massive bill. So it's just this special, wonderful model that's very fair and very equitable, but it's only for the relatively wealthy. The relatively not wealthy can just stick with the what they're describing as um, substandard, suboptimal previous model. Thank you very much. We don't know. We don't care. Ignorance, as far as Dan is concerned, is bliss. And that's the devil in the detail that I can see right now. They've stuffed it up. I'm going to give you some more details on this because this has not been revealed in the mainstream leave. It's only being revealed here on the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 on the AM Dolan podcast on the WWWs. Um, we'll have a bit of music then we'll be back.
Tune in to 3CR on March 8th as we dish up another feast of radical ideas to end gender inequality. Centering the voices of First Nations, refugee, migrant women and gender diverse people. Challenging liberal and corporate feminisms in discussions on sovereignty, workers' rights, nuclear disarmament, environmental justice, animal rights, as well as music and performance. From 11pm Saturday, March 7 to midnight Sunday, March 8 on 3CR Digital, 8.55am and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Check the website for more details. Roasting the Patriarchy. Recipes for dismantling the system. Welcome back to the Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on AM Dole and podcast on the WWWs. Good to have your company, even though I've got a craggy voice. Um, what I have to say is um, of such importance that I must, I, must, I must speak through my disability because what we've been talking about today is functional idi- idiocy. It's real politic, like it's politics the way it runs, the way it runs in Australia. Why politics runs in Australia is there are certain lobby groups that tell the government what to do and then they do it. One of the lobby groups is the um, interests that uh, represent the private school system, both Catholic and independent. So functionally, um, the education policy of the federal government of Australia um, will, under almost no circumstance, not give that lobby group what they want, which is you know, evident with what, what, what I've been talking about so far today. Um, however... Dantean is not addressing the big problem. And the big problem isn't how much um, relatively wealthy children in Australia receive in funding for their education. The problem is that Australia, the generation that's leaving the schools here in Australia in 2020 is less well-educated than the generation leaving in, in 2005. And Australia's falling behind in the international education states. Yeah, um, well, no, we have to be falling behind because our children are less well-educated than they were before. Um, and equity in the Australian education system has been falling um, as a covariant with, with results. The less equitable your education system, the less good kids do on tests. Now, Dan Tan's come up with three things lately. He's talked about making sure that relatively wealthy people get a better education. Well, that's nice. He's also talked about creating a literacy and numeracy test which will be taken by students after they finish their VCE. And so, therefore, giving them another test after they finish school will improve the results of the students in the schools. How come? Um... I don't know how come. I just don't know. Um, there is a genuine sense, and it actually pervades a great deal of Australian life these days, that if you assess something, you've improved it. If you assess something, you've done something. Well, you've created data that you can sell to the uh, um, advertisers. But I, I, I kid you not, the, the Federal Education Minister is putting forward a proposal to, after you finish your VCE, to do another exam on science, maths and, and, and literacy, which will then improve your science, maths and literacy results and therefore you'll be more employable and a greater value to the Australian economy. Is it voluntary? No, 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 it's a compulsory test. Ooh. It'll be used by employers and it'll be used by universities to help them determine whether they're going to enrol someone or give someone a job. 
So that was his plan last week. Um, don't know if he's going ahead with that. Though. I think he was just um, thinking on the back of a thinking on the back of a serviette there, because um, that's just um, demonstrably stupid. Um, sorry, um, just is. Oh, it makes sense. You'll scare them into doing better in the test. No, they've either got their education or they haven't by the time they finish VCE. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the horse is bolted. No point um, doing a survey on it then. It's not there. Uh, so he's come up with another idea, and that is to um, make kids do better on NAPLAN. Because the NAPLAN scores feed into the PISA scores. The PISA scores are the ones that we know Australian students are less well educated than they were back in the day. When I say back in the day, I mean 15 years ago. And so his idea is, oh, well, what I'll do is I'll reward students for doing well on PISA in year nine by giving them certificates, and that will make it a more high-stakes test, which will, if you put higher stakes on the test, then the kids will do better because they'll take it more seriously. That's his second idea. Um, Dan, if you're listening, um, do a NAPLAN test, mate. <laughs> just, just do one. And you'll very quickly realise the test itself is designed so that you cannot cheat on it. It's designed um, not to assess um, how much you know about something, but how well you can use critical thinking skills to solve problems using words and numbers and signs. That's what NAPLAN does. Start doing lots and lots of extra cramming and study for a NAPLAN test is actually designed in many ways, to subvert those efforts. That's what the teachers did when they put it all together. Now, it's true. It is really true that if you do cram for your NAPLAN, you do better. But that's not about the content. That's about preparing students for test conditions. So that when they finally do the NAPLAN, it's just something else that they've been doing along the way, and it's not this big high-stakes thing, and therefore they're more likely to feel comfortable and do well as opposed to make a really big friggin' deal about it and make it high stakes and have prizes and certificates and special assemblies for all the students who do well. And, you know, if you... Oh, Dan. Oh, Dan. Yeah, so um, yeah, don't do that either, mate. And if you really want to sort out the education system in Australia, you look at the things um, that go with poor performance. And what goes with poor educational test results is a system where the rich get one education and the poor get another, and the poor don't get a better education, uh, the poor don't get the same education, the poor get a worse education. And then you'll go, Dan, I know, because I know you, you go, oh, no, we don't have an equity problem here in Australia. And that's the point at which I say, oh, mate, you're full of it, because quite frankly, Trevor Cobold has called you bluff. And after the break, I'll be telling you exactly how much Dan Tan will, is full of it because Trevor Cobble has gone to town on his, um, on his intellectual fortitude. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. 
Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. State Sunshine schools. North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got vis- physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? It's actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the when weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive great Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on... If you are involved in a state school, and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 94198377. State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Handel, Handel Organ Shredder, previously in the program we had a lovely little gavotte, so we're dancing and playing and having a lovely time in between, getting real serious. Um, I was just going to tell you, Dan, if you're still listening, although I've been a bit rude to you, so you're probably not, um, if anyone who knows Dan Tan is listening, can you pass on to him that uh, we live in a very inequitable education society and that poor children in Australia are really pushing it just because their parents are poor? Nothing to do with how smart they are. Nothing to do with how they're behaved. It's just because they've got parents who he's got not as much money and stuff. Now, how, what do I mean by that? Well, class sizes, student-teacher ratios. Now, they are similar between public and private schools with a very slight advantage for the high-fee private schools. However, private schools have a much higher proportion of highly qualified teachers. 22% of them have got masters or above, which is 14% to in public schools. Many of whom have Just been actually brought out of the public system. Of course they have. Of course they have. Oh, oh, yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll get that teacher. Thank you very much. 
Just over one quarter of teachers in high fee schools and one fifth of low fee schools have at least a master's degree. So they're getting a better qualified teacher because there's money around and there's perception around. But there's also a large gap in the proportion of students in public and private schools where learning is hindered by not having enough learning stuff. The percentage of students in public schools whose learning is hindered by not actually having enough teachers on the day is three times more likely in a public school than a private school. 24%. 24% on any given day. There's not actually enough teachers in the school to do with a teaching load in a, in a public school. Now, the, the gap between pub, public schools and higher-fee private schools is particularly large, with only 2% of students in high-fee-paying private schools affected by any form of teacher shortage at all. There's also massive gaps between public and private schools in the proportion of students whose learning is hindered by inadequately qualified teachers. Now, I'll tell you how this goes. While, no, while nearly all teachers in Australia are fully qualified, inadequately qualified teachers can be t- interpreted as those who are teaching outside their trained subject area. Now, I myself have been through this. I have taught, I have taught in public schools for a lot of, well, all of my professional career. I've worked in independent and private schools as a consultant. And I'll tell you right now, when I was teaching in state schools, I was a music teacher. But let me tell you what I taught. I taught some music, of course, music teacher. I taught some history, I taught some English, I taught some maths, I taught some science, I taught some dance. Yeah, dance, yeah, but I was a dance teacher. Renaissance <laughs> man. Well, I, I, well, I could teach it all. Well, no, I could, because I, I studied up on it, but I wasn't qualified to. At secondary school level, I wasn't a teacher in all those things. I didn't do courses at university in dance or even dance. Um, I taught economics. Yes, I've taught accounting. Yes, I have. I've taught all of these things in, in a secondary school, all well outside the range of my qualifications because the staffing levels were so low that I had to teach out of my area for the principal to balance their budget, which is to say... We've got all these classes and we've got all these teachers. To have one good music teacher in the school, there's not enough classes for one good music teacher, but I want one so they can also teach some history or initial science or, or, or languages. I think I taught German there once for a semester. Very badly. So that's what I'm talking about. Uh, private schools don't have these issues. Uh, no, no. If you teach music, you just get a music teacher in. I um, mean, if there's extra things, well, it's, I don't know, they can sit around and do nothing if they like. And yes, I have been to private schools where a lot of people, teachers have been sitting around the staff room doing very little because their loads are less. Their teaching loads. Now, I'm not making this up, by the way. I'm telling you what's come out of an international report which marks Australia on not just its education system, because we don't have an education system. It marks us on our education systems. Now, the learning of 16% of students in public schools is hindered by the lack of educational materials to 2% of students in private schools. Now, that is to say not enough books or not enough computers or not enough resources or not enough overhead projectors. No, don't use any word. Don't use those anymore. Um, or projectors of one form or another. Not enough materials. Now, the difference between public and private schools is huge in Australia. It's only actually outpaced by one other country 
in terms of the difference between physical infrastructure between each of the education systems. Now, bear in mind that when the OEC does this, they include the Catholic schools as private schools. So this myth of poor private schools, in the OECD report, what I'm talking about here includes these supposedly poor Catholic schools. Because often we talk in Australia in terms of two systems, or three systems. One, that is to say public and private, and we often talk about that. And sometimes we talk about private, Catholic and independent, which are three separate systems that are administered, that are administered separately. Uh, the, the most powerful bureaucracy amongst those three isn't the education department, it's the Catholic education officers in each state and, of course, federally. Now, when it comes to the OECD figures, they're just talking about public and private. So when it comes to an immense disparity, a huge disparity in physical infrastructure and poor quality infrastructure for state schools, this includes the Catholic school system as well as the high-fee-paying independent school system. Now, 15% of students in lower-fee private schools have their learning hindered in this way, but um, much more than that are hindered within the state school system. 36% of students in public schools have their learning hindered by poor quality infrastructure. That is more than one in three because the demountable roof leaks and the air conditioning's on the frets. And the corridor is now, again, become a, a classroom. And you know why? Because the music room was burgled last week and we can't use it because there's no money to repair it until next semester. So we'll go outside today and we'll have a lesson on the Oval. Have I done that? Yes. Are teachers doing that right now today? Yes. Because are they doing it in private schools? No. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. So, yeah. I'd just get you to think about that. Just think about that again. More than one in three students in state schools don't have the right buildings, don't have the right infrastructure to support their learning. And this, of course, gives those children a view of the way the government and people in power look at them. What does that actually do for their self-confidence? Well, it's a policy failure. It's just an absolute policy failure. Actually, I wouldn't say it's a policy failure. It's a policy win if you're a lobbyist for a private school because you have protected your business model. Your business model is that whatever else happens, you're better than a state school. So if the policy maintains that, then in the end, it's a win. Excepting, Robert, there's there's actually a mismatch here because the actual enrolments in public schools are going up Mm. for a variety of reasons. Uh, one is that the education that you get in a public school is still very much the same because of the curriculum requirements and so on, what you get in a private school. People are working out that they either haven't got the money or they don't want to use their money on um, the more expensive model or perhaps they don't want their children to be um, exposed to the lack of accountability on a large number of levels, which we're finding out at St Kevin's, uh, in these private schools. Mm. All the money in the world actually doesn't buy your child safety from predatory people. Indeed. Well, no. In fact, um, the more privilege, uh, the more opacity, the more opacity, the more capacity, capacity for evil doing. It's just that simple. 
privileged breeds, breeds a, a glass darkly. And in a dark glass, evil things can propagate. I'm sounding a bit biblical, aren't I? Um, I'd like to go back to numbers because over 80% of disadvantaged students are enrolled in public schools, straight up. And over 90% of disadvantaged schools are public schools. So why on this great Australian green earth, it's greening up now thanks to the rain, why is Dan Tian sitting there talking about increasing funding to private schools? That is the, not the right way to improve one of the most inequitable education systems, plural, in the OECD. It's a stunning thing for Dan Tian to talk about. Now, he'll say, and he'll be right, he'll say, well, I can't talk about state schools, that's a state's matter. Well, do you know what? I'm getting sick of that. I'm, I'm getting. I, well, I don't care about that. I just don't care about saying federal does private, states do state. No. You need an integrated funding model, and if you're going to change the model for private schools, change it for state schools. What's good for the goose is good for all those ganders out there. And I was going to say it again. 90% of disadvantaged schools are public schools. St John of Clifton Hill notwithstanding. St John's Catholic School, terrible business going on down there. Notwithstanding that one example of, of, of a poor Catholic school, and I'm, I'm actually going to do a bit of investigating today. I don't want to work out exactly how true that still is. Um, yeah, uh, notwithstanding that, 90% of the places you need to be fixing are state schools. Oh, my goodness. Um, for our great state school this week, I am going to tell you that our great state school this week are all of those 90% of disadvantaged schools because they're taking kids no matter what. Because the one fundamental is the difference between a private school and a public school in Australia, I don't care what the, what the um, sectarian nature of the school, is that a public school will take you and bring you into the fold and teach you effectively, efficiently and accountably, as opposed to St Kevin's, and accountably. And that's what they do. Private schools are not beholden by those similar values and they're not beholden by those rules. In fact, they can say, no, we don't feel like enrolling you. Why? Oh, just because we just don't. We don't care. But that's discrimination, you hear the child say. And the school goes, <laughs> yeah, right. We've got exemptions. Get out, of it. get out of our face and get out of our school. Thank you very much. That's the, that is the fundamental basis of the private school in Australia. I don't, as I say, I don't care about the denomination. So, all those 90% of schools um, that enrol the disadvantaged kids, you are my great state schools for, of the week for this week. But you've been listening to the Dogs Program. And the Dogs Program comes out every Saturday, as you know, because it needs to. We can contact us on, at our website, www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Or you can go through the 3CR website which is 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. And if you do have a great state school that you want me to talk about, just give the station a call during business hours on 9419 8377. That's 9419 8377. But from Dale, um, myself, Rob and Jean, from here at the Dogs Program on 3CR, it's been great to have your company. It's from us. Bye for now.
Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. 